Good to see all of y'all. Um, let's see if y'all would be so kind. I know one of the things I'm going to struggle with this morning is trying to remember that we have a video at the end of this. And so if I get to the prayer and I haven't rolled the video, then y'all can just say video. All right. And uh, you help me out with that. Uh, we are um, we're really just basically starting into this sermon series about being restored. And uh, one of the first truths that we find in the Bible is that when God creates humanity, Adam and Eve says, uh, let us create him in our image. And that means that each of us is created in the image of God, that we were designed, made, uh, fashioned in the image of God. And so that, that what that means is that, you know, God is love. God is gracious, God is merciful, God is just, and so our real identity is to reflect that, to give glory and display those kinds of things in our world. And the problem that we face is that when you look at your life, uh, when you ask yourself some questions and say, well, am, am I loving? Do I love all people? Do I love the way that Jesus would love? Am I merciful? Do I show people mercy even when they haven't done anything to deserve it? Am I gracious? I mean, do I forgive the, not just once or twice, but the 77 times, the infinite amount of times that Jesus prescribes? That when we begin to think about that, we begin to see, you know, we, we still have a ways to go in terms of reflecting the image of God. The great news, however, is that God treasures us, God loves us, and that God will do everything that is required for us to find that, that restorative part of our lives, to be made in the image of God. He will clean us up, heal us, redeem us, do whatever is needed for us to regain that so that we can have God's love in our hearts perfectly and flawlessly and enjoy that. When I was in um, college, I was in a uh, small car accident and um, the result of it was that my first car, which was a 1984 Volkswagen Quantum Station Wagon, it was a sweet ride, people, uh, was damaged. And um, it was pretty beat up by the time I got it. One of its more enduring qualities was that it had an oil warning light that would buzz when you started it. It would just keep buzzing. It was like a... And it would do that for about five minutes until the engine warmed up and then it would quit, you know. And then there were other rattles that you could hear at that point. But that, in that accident, the, the bumper was damaged. And I remember, I still remember very clearly talking with the insurance agent about it. And uh, he told me, he said, well, uh, we're going to write you a check for $600. I just said, it's going to take $600 to repair that bumper? And he said, $600 will total your vehicle and we'll be done. I said, 600 bucks? That's all you think my car is worth? I can't replace this priceless machine for $600? And yet, that's what he totaled it out as. And um, rather than repair it, I uh, paid off my remaining tuition and went skiing that year. <laughs> and when we think about uh, restoration, you know, there's always that piece of, is it worth fixing? Would it be worth the cost that we put into it to try and repair whatever's been damaged or ruined or, or wrecked? You know, that's always part of the question that we have. 
And uh, sometimes we say, no, it'd be better just to buy a new one. Uh, but yet, isn't it amazing to think that God never looks at any of us and has that same conclusion? God always looks at us and says, they are way too valuable to give up on. I can restore them, heal them, and bring them into new life. So that's what we're looking at in these weeks, is that process, that great news that's there. And when we look at the passage that we're about to look at, we find Paul talking about what this all looks like. And he does it in a very powerful way. He talks about it in a variety of things, but in this particular passage, what he's covering is he's saying, he's asking the basic question of what happens when, for all practical purposes, we're ruined? And he, he names it in this way. He says, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? And it's a question that we all kind of wonder about and that we would like an answer to. And Paul explains it in a very precise way for his time. Paul is a tent maker. That's what he did for a living. He made tents. And when he describes it, he said, we're going to leave this earthly tent and gain a heavenly dwelling. We're going to leave our earthly tent and gain our heavenly dwelling. And he's saying, when our bodies, like tents, grow old and weary, it's time to go on into our heavenly dwelling. That when our, we're absent from our bodies, present with the Lord. And this morning I was thinking, man, you know, Paul was a tent maker. What if Paul was a, somebody that worked at one of the plants in Beaumont? You know, how would he describe it? You know, God takes us as crude oil and refines us, right? I'll keep working on that. Thank you. The 8 o'clock crowd was way friendlier. That's all I'm going to say. They, they were way nicer than y'all were about that. I'll keep working on that. But he, that's how he describes it. And um, he, he puts it out there and he says, you know, that, that's what's going to happen. And it's something that God does for us, that God does for our lives, and that he is willing to extend to us. And he says that it had become such a, a powerful thing for him to know that and that it had changed his life completely, that he did everything he could to persuade others to come to Christ. And then he says, you know, I'll, I'll do anything to help people understand who Jesus is and how he's able to restore lives. And in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he talks about that. He says, if we are crazy, it's for God's sake. If we're rational, it's for your sake. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live, not live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And so Paul's saying, you know, our message, it's not going to make sense to everybody. There's going to be a lot of people that have a different understanding of life. Our message, it may seem crazy. The idea that one person's death is enough to set the world free may seem impossible to many. And he says, if it doesn't make sense, well, it's because that's how God is doing it in our world. If it makes sense, well, then I'm trying to make it sense for you. But at the end of the day, he says, what did you expect? That it was going to be something that made perfect sense? 
then it wouldn't be the amazing news that it truly is. And he speaks to them and he says, just as Adam committed one sin and sin entered into our world, so in Christ, sin is defeated by one person. And he goes on to talk with them and he says, you know, this is the great news that we worship the one who, uh, who died for our sake and who was raised. And it is so powerful to think about that alone, that one statement. This is the one who died on our behalf and was raised. And that that is the basic message, the foundational message of how our lives are restored. And we may ask ourselves, well, you know, big deal. How, how does that change our lives? How does that help us? Well, think about your own life. I mean, the things that you and I get discouraged about and that we become anxious about are the times in which we look at our life and we say, we're not really getting to where we want to be. We're not who we thought we ought to be. You know, we fail, we make mistakes, we white knuckle it and try harder, and yet we find ourselves back in the same place over and over again. You know, that not only do we look out into the world and we say there's other people that are doing it better than us, that seem to have it all the better than we do, but also we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, we, we have failed, we have made mistakes, and if, and if they only knew what a failure we were, then how would we possibly live, you know? This is, those are the kinds of things that, that Paul is addressing here. He's saying, you know, if we keep looking at our own life and our own worth and our own value, we're inevitably going to be discouraged and fall into despair. And he says, that's, that's what's so amazing about who Jesus Christ is, that he gives us a new image to look at, a new one to see and to see the glory of God in our lives. So let's continue on in what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he says that um, he died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should have not lived for themselves, but do the, for, for the one who died for them and was raised. You think about what Paul is saying. He's saying that when we have Christ, when we are fully convinced and devoted to his life and who he is. It pulls us out of our selfishness. It pulls us out of our own selfish needs or our way of looking at the world or any number of things and puts us in a whole new perspective on the world that we're a part of. You know, no longer living for ourselves, but living for Christ. No longer trying to earn our way into salvation, no longer trying to do it on our own, but rather having him as our Lord and our Savior, as the one who's going to lead and direct our lives, the one that we're going to obey, have him at the center of all that we do. And he says that's so key and it's so essential. And then he goes on to talk about the result. He says if we'll do that, you know, if Christ becomes our life, if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, he goes on to explain it. He says, so then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things 
have arrived. The old things have gone away, and look, the new things have arrived. And so that's how he says the transformation happens when we have faith in Christ. He says we're, we're new creations, new people. Let me ask you a question. What would your life be like if you were known by your worst sin, your, birth, your worst mistake? If that was like the thing that you were known most for and that you lived your life like Every time that you showed up at a high school reunion, they said, hey, you remember that stupid thing you did? You know, that if you were known for your worst mistake and your worst sin, you know, I always think about doubting Thomas. I mean, one time, one time he doubts the rest of his life, he's known for that. He went on to do other great things, and yet that's the one mistake everybody remembers him for. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, but in Jesus Christ, all of our past mistakes are forgiven. They're swallowed up in the grace of God, not because we deserve that, but because that's who God is. That the old is past, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all the things that we have done wrong, all of our failures are washed away, and that new life begins. And it's not saying that you have a new life in which God's now going to help you chase after your own goals. And it's not saying that you have a new life that now everything is going to go perfectly, that you're never going to have any struggles or any kind of pain or anything like that. But it's saying that in Jesus Christ, we have the one who is able to bring us up out of our selfishness, out of our sins, out of our death, and into a new life, a life that is eternal and lasting with God. I mean, is that something that you desire? Eternal life. I mean, we talk about it pretty openly, but at the end of the day, is that something you really desire? Because part of that is that we will one day stand before God and give an account of our lives, and that we'll say, this is what happened, this is what I did right, this is what I did wrong, and that in God's infinite mercy, we find grace, but that's how we should also live our lives. I mean, if it's going to be an eternal life, we should also stand before God and say, this is what God desires for me. This is what God would call obedience. That's what it would look like in my life. And that we push aside and we say, we want that more than anything else. To have Christ as our first and foremost priority and everything else be second. And can you, can you answer that honestly today? I mean, if you're part of this new creation that God is doing in Jesus Christ, then you ought to be able to honestly say that you are doing your utmost to put him first, that he's your highest priority, that nothing compares to the greatness of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you have that new creation at work in your life, then he always will come first. How do you know that? Well, we serve what we worship. We serve what we worship and have of most priority. We give everything we can to things that we think are of most importance. If we're part of that new creation, then Christ should be who we worship and who has first priority in our lives. 
and everything else should be a distant second. And it should show in how we serve, how we give, how we work, how we pray, how we live. It should be evident. I mean, you think about people that are addicted to substance or something else. What do they, what do, they do when they worship that? They're willing to serve it in any means possible. They'll sell their kid to get the next hit, right? They'll do anything. And when you and I think about our own lives, that question of what is it that we're really worshiping? Are we worshiping ourselves? Are we worshiping esteem? Are we worshiping prosperity? Are we worshiping what? And how are we showing that by how we serve? And in Paul's words, you know, we are, we are meant to be a new creation, a redeemed creation, restored in the image of God to be more loving, more generous, more gracious than we ever thought possible. So today, the good news, the, the amazing news is that it all can start over today. That no matter what our life has been like, today can be a new day, a new hope. That no longer we're going to worship things made by man or things of this earth. But we make a new commitment to worship the one who died for us and who was raised for us. And that we're going to spend the rest of our days serving him in all that we do. To have that new life, not a slightly better version of our old life, but a brand new one in Jesus Christ. Make that commitment. I would also encourage you, coming to worship is powerful. It's a mighty way to make sure our heart's in the right, way, right place. But you also need a group. Get a group of friends. Join a Sunday school class. Join a small group. Find a group of people that are committed to Christ and want to serve him and be a part of that. Hold each other accountable and say, this is what we're going to be about. This is what we're going to do. I know the world would say many of the things that we do, the way we sacrifice, the way we give, the way we serve is just nonsense. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow Christ and we're going to do everything we can to support each other in that. And that will make all the difference as well. Let's see the video. Gracious God, we thank you that you are able to take what is broken, shattered, ruined by the fall and redeem it, to restore it, and to create within us your image. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to open our hearts and lives to you, to be faithful, and to trust what you alone can do for each of us. All these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name.